Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Welcome back, Elias. Thank you. Feels good to be back. I'm back. Uh, Jonas, who filled in for me, I thought Jonas did a really good job on the show. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Those two episodes I thought were pretty good. and um, I, I mean, I like, I like Jonas a lot. He's always got really good insight, good research, and he always has something funny to say. So he's always entertaining. Yeah, Jonas has been on our local radio show for, I guess, 13 years. And here's the one thing I'll say about Jonas. He's always very prepared when he shows up to do a show. And you made a comment, I think it was two shows ago, about Jonas's first show. And I don't know if the listeners actually, or I should say the watchers, the listeners clearly didn't see this. But we do have a YouTube show. And on the YouTube, you saw Jonas bring out his, like, cereal box of notes yeah, so he's big time recycler, right? That's his whole thing, recycling stuff. So yeah, he had his notes either on a piece of cardboard or like an old map. I don't know what his notes were on, but I saw him unfolding it and it looked like it was like the size of a road map. He carries it with him everywhere. Um, but it's just how he is. He's really prepared. And I appreciate having him on. I think he had some really good information. Hopefully some people went out to our website, btwellshow.com, and downloaded um, or requested a copy of one of his books. He's now authored two different books, and they're really, really, really simple, easy reads for people to understand, just common sense investing tips and budgeting tips, and maybe a different way if, you, if you're looking for a new way to try those things, just a different lens to look at to, to accomplish a couple of those goals. We also talked on, on a past show about the the effect of inflation on a lot of consumer goods. And, you know, uh, Valentine's Day was a couple of days ago. And I went and verified some prices because I went Saturday night. My wife and I decided to go out. We always avoid the Valentine's Day, the actual Valentine's Day dinners. Um, primarily just they're busy. We usually don't think the food's quite as good because they're serving so many people and it's a limited menu. And my wife has a fairly, fairly particular menu that she'll eat. So we went to a place in, um, in Iowa city, uh, St. Birch Tavern, I think is what it's called. It used to be the Atlas. I don't know if you're familiar with Iowa city, Eli. Uh, um, yes, I, yes. And I know what building that's in. Cause I've either been there when it was the Atlas or I've been there since they changed names. I don't remember, but I know I've been there. I always remember that's where we went for dinner for my bachelor party, big group of 25 people sitting outside, but, um, <laughs> neither here nor there. It's a great restaurant. We went in and a couple of the items that have won up a lot in, in money, uh, to purchase for food are two things, filet, mignon, and king crab. So we go in and we were primarily going here because they have a fresh oyster bar. If you haven't been there, it's it's a great, great oyster setup and they're really, really good. So we went there for the fresh oyster bar, but my, my wife was interested in getting um, the seafood tower because they had crab legs and all the other stuff. Mm, that sounds good. Well, when we got there, she decided she wasn't really that hungry. So she asked the waitress and said, hey, can I just order like a meal with king crab legs? And in the past, I'm like, yeah, you just pay the market price. She comes back to her table and she says, we can't do that. She goes, because of the price of these, we can't just create a meal out of it. It's already priced like per per tower or whatever. They, they knew exactly how much they were putting on a seafood tower. I thought it was really interesting that I couldn't even buy king crab from the restaurant. 
So the next yeah, day. So you can only get it with the appetizer, the seafood tower. You can't get it a la carte, just yeah, on I mean, the side. Yeah, exactly. And usually, you know, they used to have an ad on, hey, you can add the crab legs. And so right. that, that was completely eliminated. So the next day we went to Costco and my wife's like, hmm, the king crab legs look good. <laughs> and she looked down for three crab legs. It was like $109. And she goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, it's 60 bucks a pound now. So I can verify that the prices have gone up. Um, yeah. Well, and it's not just so the king crab legs, that's like a higher end item. It's not just that. So um, we went out to eat and someone in our group tried to, instead of getting French fries with their hamburger, we were at a local bar. Instead of getting French fries with their cheeseburger, they wanted onion rings. And the server goes, we're only serving the onion rings as an appetizer because they're on a limited supply or they're too expensive right now. So it's, you know, it can be, but I was amazed by that. I'm like, how does that even happen just with onions? You know, king crab legs is kind of different. They're usually more expensive, but even down to the onion rings, you get told, no, you can only get as an appetizer. The inflation is everywhere. Um, in fact, I think I just saw they released the the year-over-year inflation numbers. It was north of 7.2% for the month ending in January. But yep. it made me think about another thing. The Super Bowl was Sunday, and I haven't had a chicken wing for, like, I don't know, a month and a half. So I'm craving chicken wings. <laughs> so I went out, and I bought chicken wings, which oh, I'm happy I could find them. For a while, there was a chicken wing shortage. For one pound of chicken wings, it's now $5. The chicken wings per pound were actually more expensive than the chicken breast, which think about that. The chicken wings always kind of been like the leftover item. They're more expensive than the actual chicken breast itself. Wings. So wings were going for more per pound. Four ninety nine a pound. The chicken breast was like two sixty seven a pound. The wings were four ninety nine a pound. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's just purely supply and demand. But it just got me thinking that, you know, inflation is creeping everywhere. And we talked about this on a previous show. Inflation always isn't just the increase in the cost of an item. A lot of times what companies will do is they'll maintain the same cost. So let's just use a box of cereal. You know, that box of cereal, maybe it used to be 16 ounces for $2.99. Well, today, maybe it's 13 ounces for $2.99. So you didn't necessarily see the increase in cost, but there was a decrease in volume, which is exactly the same thing. And I've noticed personally, I feel like I'm going to the grocery store more and I'm not like keeping track of how much is in the items I'm buying. But my guess is there's some reduced volume that's causing me to go to the store more frequently. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, your so your box of mac and cheese is still two bucks, but you get they're just giving you less, um, whatever less servings in the box, right? Yeah, that that's that's another form of inflation. That's kind of like I don't know, maybe we call it ghost inflation or something. The stuff that you don't realize is happening, but is. So since it's uh, Valentine's week, I saw an article on CNBC that claims that owning cryptocurrencies makes you more desirable on the dating scene. You and know what my first thought was when I read that? It's a good thing I'm married. Oh, I, could you imagine <laughs> having to partake in the dating scene in today's day and age with Twitter and all these different apps that are out there? Um, well, and to be, now you even got to own crypto to be considered 
more desirable. Yeah, I like thirty-three percent of Americans said they were mo- would be more likely to go on a date with somebody who mentioned crypto assets in their online dating profile. So, here's the really odd thing that struck me: is I almost feel like in today's dating world, and if you're a listener and you're in this world, let us know. Just go to btwellshow.com and send us a note. Is it like, do you have to have an online dating profile to actually date in 2022? Because this is just says, hey, we expect somebody to have a crypto asset, mention crypto assets in their dating profile. Well, I, you probably almost do. I mean, I don't know. It's so speculative for me. I've, it's been over eight years since I was single or dated, so I... Honestly, I'm so far removed. I have no idea, but I do know the single friends that I have. I do know other than socializing kind of the traditional ways, most of them have some sort of social media dating app or I know they meet people online. I know it's almost everyone I know it's part of their life now. Nearly 20% of singles would be interested in you romantically if you set an NFT as your profile picture on your social platform found by um, a site called eToro. What's shocking is two years ago, nobody knew what an NFT was. And today you'd be found more romantic. They would be more romantically interested in you if your profile was a non-fungible token. What it makes me think about, because I start to think through why are these things happening? Is it a function of that crowd is just 35 and younger for the most, but I don't know this, but maybe it's this crowd is dominated by people 35 and younger. And maybe it's not that they're more desirable. It's that they feel they have more in common with the person. There's a way now to express things you're interested in without just saying, well, I'm interested in horseback riding and golf and fishing, which is how the the dating sites were done in the beginning. Now they're like, man, if they see a non-fungible token, like, oh, they're into technology. They're into crypto. They're into all the other things that maybe I'm into too. So I thought this was very, very, very interesting, this article. Yeah. So on, uh, and that's probably really good insight because if someone, yeah, I mean, if someone's interested in crypto and NFTs, I mean, obviously there's kind of like more, um, they're just interested in technology in general, but yeah, that's probably a signal of things you would have in common with that person. Um, the, the things I was thinking was, um, was I guess it would maybe signal to someone that you're kind of, uh, up to date with trends or at least knowledgeable of things that are going on in the world as far as technology and kind of staying up to date. So I, I guess those were the things I thought was if you talk about crypto in your, um, in your profile, people are drawn to that. You know, maybe it shows maybe what it signals to someone else is you are, uh, you know, you're staying on top of current trends. And I could see how that would be a desirable, desirable characteristic of somebody. So one of the big advocates of NFTs, the crypto world in general, has been the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey. And what I really think is interesting to follow up on this is Twitter just rolled out NFT profile pictures that you can utilize on Twitter, you can link up your Ether wallet and suck in your NFTs as your profile picture now. Yeah, and it's essentially the blue, like the blue check mark. It's a, you're a verified account at that point, yep. right? 
Yeah, was my understanding. But I just think that's interesting as we're looking at you know this information regarding how people are maybe more attracted to or more maybe more interested in dating somebody who has an NFT as their profile picture or mentions crypto in their in their uh, dating profile. Then Twitter comes along and rolls out NFTs uh, for profile pictures. Which you know I watched the Super Bowl the other night. Did you happen to see the Facebook uh, the Facebook advertisement or what I should it? say Meta? The okay is the one with the basically to me it was like the Chuck E. Cheese dolls that were singing and yeah. yes I saw that commercial yeah I thought that was interesting though they're trying to give people a glimpse of what the metaverse looks like the news the next day after the Super Bowl Coinbase had their virtual QR code on there crashed all their servers last night on Coinbase uh, yeah people okay. going to the website and brought that. it all down I read it when I woke up the day after the Super Bowl so if as listeners, you don't think that digital currency, NFTs, and Coinbase, and all these other things aren't relevant to your life. It's changing at the speed of light. The adoption that these technology companies are making to bring this mainstream is rapidly, rapidly changing. In fact, I saw, too, that um, Jerome Powell, they had their release last week. And they were talking about uh, the Federal Reserve released, released its anticipated report on the prospects of making a central bank digital currency, which we refer to as CBDC, and basically said they're starting to look at creating a central bank digital currency. So the Fed, the Fed or the monetary system wants to have its own digital currency, too. So this is becoming more and more and more mainstream and it's probably behooves people to go research and find out what this is earlier rather than later. And this is no endorsement to buy it, but you should be fundamentally educated on what digital currency is at this point. I agree with that. And the, uh, speaking of the, that Coinbase commercial you just mentioned, how long, like, how long did you watch that before you realized what they wanted you to do to go scan the QR code? I actually missed it. I just read about it the next day. Okay. So that commercial came on and after like, I think it was like after 15 seconds, it dawned on me. Oh, okay. They want us to go scan that. Cause at first I'm like, what is this a, an error? Something wrong with the Tell me TV? what it was. Was it just like a big QR code in the screen or something? It was a QR code, but it was like bouncing back and forth, like um, and changing colors. What's that? like the old Pong video game? It was just like going back and oh, yeah. forth, and then it would be green, and then red, and then blue, just to get just to get your attention. So they made like a really old school looking commercial um, to get people to click to go scan it, and then as it did, and then it had a little prompt about Coinbase um, when it was done, so I knew I knew what it was about. Um, but yeah, I thought that QR code was—I thought that was one of the really clever commercials of the night. Um, but yeah, going back to the the federal, the Fed saying they they're talking about their um, central bank digital currency. So I read through this, and it sound honestly, it sounds like they're like pretty unsure of what they should do, which the reasons they gave, I thought were good reasons because they don't know how to impact lending. And, you know, that's a major concern for them because their main goals are what maximum employment and um, just like keeping inflation in check. So 
you know, one of their concerns they talked about was how it would affect the credit markets. And that was something I totally overlooked before. Anytime I thought about, well, what if the, what if our, um, our country just comes out with a digital currency? Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting, but I mean, for now they give a lot of information, but it sounds like they just don't know what they should do. Um, and they don't know what they're going to do about it. I got another question for you about the Super Bowl. Okay. Did you like the halftime show? I d- yeah, I liked it. So are what you I- at so was that the music of your generation or my generation? No, uh both. No, it wasn't. How was it not? Because you were like seven years old, didn't you? This has been like the big no. raging debate on all the social media. All the ge- all the millennials are trying to steal it from the Gen Xers. Okay. What so what year was what year was the Chronic album released? The first one? Yeah. Okay, so I was too young for that. But when Dr. Dr. Dre's sec his follow-up to that album, I was 10, 11, or 12 years old. So all of my friends who are a little bit older or like my friends' older brothers were listening to that. And Eminem, certainly, kids my age grew up listening to Eminem. Yeah, I would agree with Eminem. But Snoop and Dre, that's all Gen X, baby. That is not millennial. Yeah, well, right. The first, okay, yeah, the first albums they did. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. But the no, here's the why best, I bring it up. The best part was everyone younger than everyone younger than fifty five liked that. It might be like the most divisive halftime show of all time because everyone older, all my parents' friends on social it was, media, was like, like, "It's the worst ever." I know. So I I text one of them. I said, "Hey, you're never gonna see Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Aerosmith." doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl. Like that's just not who they're marketing to now. So you just gotta move on. <laughs> okay. This is like this is like stock trading. Everybody over fifty is on the sell side of the trade. And everybody under fifty is like, this is the greatest halftime show I've ever seen. I mean guys who are friends of mine are like, you know, and I know they're in their fifties, they're like, that was so bad. I'll be honest. I thought it was the best halftime show we've had in like 10 years. Yeah, I, I mean, it was entertaining. It was, you know, we didn't have to worry about someone not singing well. I mean, it's rap. I mean, there's a, I mean, it's musical and vocal, but there's not this level of, you know, acoustic that has to be on point for it to sound good. So I just had to ask that because we're talking about a lot of Super Bowl stuff, and I just wanted to see what your thoughts were. Yeah, no, I, I liked that. it. I liked the simplicity of it, and I think I'm. I don't know this. This is speculation, but. The NFL might have, like, after last year's Super Bowl when the weekend, I mean, it was kind of an artistic thing he presented, but I don't know that they're going for that when they do their halftime show. I think they just want a simple, entertaining show, and then that's what they got last night. So I thought I thought it was really good. I, I did too. I don't know. You remember when we did the um, the student loan show? Yeah, I remember doing it. What about it? So I caught this TikTok video, um, and the guy's uh, handles baddie.brad, and he posted a TikTok video about how he's $150,000 in debt. And it was actually a really sad video. Um, And basically, it was him talking about how he regretted taking out all this debt and how he had been convinced that if he went to this really prestigious culinary school, he would get a great job and be successful and be the next, you know, food and TV network star. 
And he talked about how his parents didn't give him any advice. And he said, my parents were responsible with money. They can't handle money. So they've just kind of said, go in debt and just succumb to being in debt. So he borrowed 130000 to go to, um, I think it was a culinary school of America. But he graduated high school at 17. He got a three-year culinary degree, cost him $150,000. When he entered the culinary when he entered the culinary scene, he was getting paid twelve to fifteen dollars an hour for his hundred and fifty thousand dollar education, and this was striking to me because it talked. This took flashed me back to that whole the whole video we did on the uh, the student loan programs and kind of how the student loan program was designed to sell people on the idea. That if you don't get a degree, you're not going to get a good job. Yeah. And scaring people that, hey, you got to get a degree to get a good job. Well, in this case, he got the best degree. He couldn't get a decent job with the very best degree out there. He's out of the culinary space now doing an adulting job, he said. I don't know what that is. Um, and maybe while Molly posts the link to the, the previous video we did on the student loan crisis, but I don't know. What did you think about this? He says he's paid off a loan for $25,000. He's paid $900 in monthly payments for the last seven years. And it started at $130,000 in debt and, or of, of uh, loans. And now it's $147,000. So basically that $900 he's been paying isn't even paying off the principal being added to this loan. Right. And so this, like, this is, a to me, the prime example of how... This is ineffective pushing kids just into college because if you take out take out the financial aspect of what Brad did, he actually did the he did exactly what you should do. He said I, he he made a goal. I'm going to go to the best school so I can get a good job because he was 17 and he didn't understand the financial consequences of it. So if you just strictly take that out, he was really doing the right things for himself he didn't know what he was getting himself into. And, you know, it, restaurants restaurants can only afford to pay um, the chefs or the cooks, however you look at it. They can only afford to pay them so much. Um, so he probably, and he, he could have he reached his goals probably without as much student loan debt. So, I mean, I feel like I feel terrible for this guy because, he really did all the right things. He set a goal. He achieved it. He set himself up terribly financially, but he did not at 17. He didn't understand, and now he just has to carry the bag of that, and he didn't have all the information when he made the decision. Well, right. He didn't have all the information, so maybe shame on him for not researching it, but the problem becomes, and I've seen this happen with people who get MBAs, you know, doctorate degrees, but aren't doc like they don't practice medicine. Um, people who get pharmacy degrees, they're selling them a bill of goods of how much money they're going to make. And they feel entitled to make that amount of money. And yeah, they did the extra school, but that doesn't entitle them to something. I'm not beating those degrees up, but I feel like they are literally sold a bill of goods of how much good this is going to do for you. And really, most of the time, the good was done for the benefit of the school and the loan company. Um, and I'm not anti-student loans, just you got to know what you're getting into. And to spend $130,000 to get a culinary degree, you know, someone should have said, hey, look, you're probably not going to be the Food Network star. You're going to be a chef in a kitchen making 
50 grand or whatever it is. I don't even know. I don't think he was even making that. But what's interesting, there were even more comments. People started piling on. One guy said, I have $325,000 in debt, making $35,000 a year. Uh, decided to get my master's degree, biggest ripoff ever. The other thing I saw in here too is Brad said, I'm just drowning. I really can't take it anymore. He said the last eight years has been a nightmare. So if you're a young person listening to our show, go before you decide what you're going to go to school for, where you're going to go. Have an end game in mind before you just start spending all of this money on college. And the end game isn't just, I want to be a chef. And if I get the best degree, I'll have the best job. That's not the end game. Let's figure out what the average is for the industry sector you're going into. And let's not assume we're at the upper echelon. You can shoot for that. But I'll guarantee you if his parents would have said, hey, look, the average wage for a food service worker is 12 to $15 an hour. And they pencil out a little bit of math. There's no way they would have sent him here to do this, to take $130,000 of debt. Would have been one thing if mom and dad were footing the bill and this is what he wanted to do and they walked out with no debt. But there's no way a financially conscious person is going to say, yep, the average hourly wage is $15 and you should borrow $130,000 to get there. Yeah, that doesn't that that just doesn't make sense at all. Um, and, you know, there's probably from 17 to 20, he he probably learned he learned, I'm sure, a lot more about being a chef going to school. But as far as like hands on training and working in in the trade from 17 to 20 he probably could have just worked somewhere and learned as much that's relevant to the day to like the day-to-day aspects of that job you're probably not going to have as much knowledge of being a chef but i'm sure there's a better way going to work somewhere and then maybe finding like some sort of a apprenticeship under a chef or even if they don't call it an apprenticeship but then work at a restaurant that you know has a reputable chef and learn from them um but again he he just you know he's 17 17 years old and plenty of people make incorrect decisions when they're 17 it's just part of life here's the best statement here's one of the best responses quote can't rent a car until you're 25 but sign your life over in loans when you're 17 is just fine by 20 years old, this guy was $130,000 in debt because this organization told him, if you get our degree, you're going to be wildly successful. All right. So I, I think that expectations of, you know, what these degrees can do, and I'm not bashed on education. I think education is important, but education doesn't have to always come from higher, from a higher learning institute. You can go to the library and get all the education you really need. One of the things that maybe the people with these degrees need to do is really make sure they have a realistic expectation of what the salary or, or income is for that job. And what made me think about this is I was on LinkedIn and um, there's a post that kind of became, I guess, viral is what they call it. And it was from recruiter Mercedes Johnson. It said, I just offered a candidate 85,000 for a job that had a budget of 130,000. I offered her that because that's what she asked for. I personally don't have the bandwidth to give lessons on salary negotiation. Here's the lesson. Always ask for the salary you want or deserve, no matter how large you think it might be. And it got me thinking if so, if someone came in and said, yep, I want this job and I'll, 
I want to get paid $75,000 or 85,000. And she's kind of getting, let me back up. She's getting beat up a little bit because they could have paid 130 and she gave it to her for 85. Well, if I said, Hey, I want 35,000. I'd like to do this job for 35,000 or 85 or whatever it is. Why do they have to pay me more? Right. Well, and I would want more info. I mean, I know this, um, the post went viral, but why does that, why did the candidate ask for that? Does that candidate think at their level of experience and in whatever industry they're referring to that that's the reasonable salary? So well, I, I don't know. I feel like that's missing some information because if someone, no one who, if you could get paid in this scenario, almost $50,000 more, you want to ask for $50,000 less than what you thought was like the expected salary. So there's one of two things here. One, they didn't research what the jobs actually paid, which is kind of what I said about that college thing is research how much these jobs pay. Mm -hmm. Two, I think you hit it on the head. This candidate probably had never made more than $85,000 or $75,000. Like, man, 85 would be awesome. Or, the, or they're coming from a job where they're making 85000 and they had no benefits. And this job has full benefits and a 401k and a pension and paid for health insurance and all these other things that maybe you can't attribute just to the dollars. But the point of this is, if you really want something, you got to be able to ask what you're worth. I, I You hear it all the time if you're in sales. Well, if you ask for $10,000 sales, guess what you get? $10,000 sales. Or if you're selling widgets that are ten thousand, you're gonna sell ten thousand dollar widgets. If you ask for fifty, you're gonna get fifty. So I, I thought this was interesting because she's really getting beat up over this. But it kind of goes in line with that whole college education theme. If you're getting the degree, you better know what the salary range is. So you make sure you can pay for that thing. And I, I thought that was good advice from this article was the setting a salary range, taking into consideration the all the different aspects and then the the just the quote in it was I'd like to make between X and X per year. I think that's right there. I think that's good verbiage and um you know just something that's a good good way to state what you would like to make and then start negotiating with a potential uh potential employer. I've got a great story about this. Great story. So my wife, I don't like 10, 12 years ago was interviewing for a job. And at the job, they asked, well, how much do you want to get paid? So she told them. She walks out of the building on the way out. They're like, you're hired. Like they tracked her down the parking lot, brought her back in and hired her right on the spot. Now I told my wife, said, you didn't ask for enough money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. And you know what? Sure enough, there were others in the same position who were getting paid significantly more. But she just. She didn't know. She hadn't researched what the job really paid. She really was getting it for the benefits. She was, that's the only reason she was in. She didn't research what it paid. It did pay good. But I said, you know, if you walked out of the interview and they tracked you down in the parking lot, you know. <laughs> you know you asked for too little. Which, But you know what? My wife right. was happy with it, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, and she really, it sounds like she really wanted the wanted the, the job because of the benefit package. So I'm sure when she threw out that number, that was like, yeah, that'd be great too. Yeah. And, oh yeah, she was she was thrilled. And the uh yeah, the company was thrilled too. They thought, well, that's great for us. Yeah. Oh. So everyone won. Everybody won, <laughs> you're right. So, uh with that said, Eli, 
I'm really happy to have you back. I, didn't, I know we didn't talk about too much money-related stuff, but if anybody out there is looking for help with their financial plan, if you have a question you want us to answer, uh, we'd be more than happy to do it. Go to btwellshow.com. Uh, we also have Jonas's books out of there available for download, and that's btwellshow.com. Thanks for listening. We'll look forward to next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.